Getting split Getting ready. Split Getting ready. split ready. Getting split ready. For my wife, God rest her soul. Oh God, I'm so sorry. No, 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 she's not dead. <laughs> We're just divorced. Unscripted and honest discussions on divorce and separation. Getting split ready. What was I supposed to tell him? I divorced you from the show. Here's your hosts, Doug Katz and Mariah Pleasant. Welcome to Getting Split Ready with Douglas Katz and Mariah Carey Pleasant. The next segment we're going to have is with Steve Coe. This segment is brought to you by Divorce Credit Pro. A divorce can take an enormous strain on your credit. Bad credit score can translate into thousands of dollars. An extra cost for mortgages, car loans, and credit cards. In some cases, a very low credit score will prevent you from obtaining financing at all. Generally, a person's credit score is directly related to where they are in life. Significant milestones in life, like purchasing a first home, starting family, and even divorced, tend to stress finances and impact your score. If you're struggling with poor or damaged credit, let Divorce Credit Pro help you repair your credit and be ready to take the next step. So, want to talk a little bit about insurance and introduce our next subject matter expert. And to the panel, if you got a question, throw in. We want this to be interactive, so don't be shy. <clears throat> Pardon me. So, Steve Coe is from Lennox Advisors. He joined Lennox Advisors in 2015 as a vice president. He's been in the financial industry for 10 years, uh, most recently with Guggenheim Partners before he was with Lennox Advisors. He's a graduate of the United States Military Academy, fellow 93 grad, and a friend of the show too, uh, as well as a Northwestern University Kellogg School of Management graduate and holds uh, Series 7 and Series 63 licenses. So thanks for joining us today. Thanks a lot, Doug. All right. So do you want to jump in? I'll jump in for the first question. And uh, how should I change my insurance if I'm preparing for a divorce? Well, it it really depends. Some states and especially, um, although not in Illinois, but some states will automatically freeze assets subject to the same rules for moving brokerage and checking accounts. They won't allow any changes to a policy while you're as soon as you file. But to prepare prepare folks, and this continues both before, during, and after, the owner of the policy, however it was initially set up, can make changes uh, pretty much whenever they want. And so, if you're the if you're uh, if you stand to lose or you want to make sure that your kids are, you're not the obligor in this situation, you kind of have to keep an eye out on that relationship. And, it, and the insurance carriers are not beholden to anyone except for the owner of the policy. So that that um, that relationship is, is one that needs to be monitored. So going in well-balanced helps being balanced coming out of the divorce. Right, but I mean, you, you as a if you're planning on having this for dependents, and you stand to lose if if the primary breadwinner were to become deceased, at any point in time, if the primary breadwinner is the owner, they can make a change, and it's very tough to fight. So, you know, regular supervision and as part of the court order or or settlement agreement should be maintained. So an example um, that I know currently is in a case where a woman is divorced from her husband, husband has a life insurance policy, he owns the policy, the wife and the kids are the beneficiaries. When he owns that policy, the divorce is over. Correct me if I'm wrong, but he can make 
almost any change to that policy that he wants, correct? And legally, no notification will go to the former beneficiaries. He could change it to a future wife or, or his mother or whoever he wants. And even if there's a court order that he has to keep his wife as a beneficiary, the way to enforce that is to... Is to regularly to, yeah. check as part of the court order. Is to, there a better way for there. her to protect herself? Yeah, so one of the better ways to protect herself if, if there's not a lot of trust in the divorce is to change the ownership. And that can be done so she could be the owner. So she could be the owner. I got a real question. I want to ask the attorneys here because we got, we've got three who handled divorce, or three, two attorneys and a mediator. Um, is that a consideration when you're looking at when you're the, the, the maintenance and the child support and all of that, if somebody's undercovered, um, you know, just because the marriage settlement agreement says they're going to pay so much if they get disabled or obviously if they die, they can't pay. So how does that work into what you do with MSAs? Are you talking disability or are you talking life insurance or the kind of I guess either, either one because I think they're, they're both important. Well, you look at like life insurance so that you wouldn't have enough to cover the um, – you know, like the support going on for the spouse and the children through, you know, until they were 18 or through college so that you would have enough for that. And you also then would look at disability to make sure that you would have coverage for that. At least, I mean, would you second that, Teresa? Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've done it even um, more specifically in the marital settlement agreement whereby <clears throat> a portion of the insurance is designated as securing maintenance, for example. Because we look at the future maintenance obligation and say she's going to need, or if if he lived, he would pay her, let's say, ten years, fifty grand a year. He's going to need to pay her five hundred thousand. Being very simplistic, so we want at least a five hundred thousand dollar policy if he died, right? And then the child support is another. I've done it where then there's a different policy or another portion of the policy to secure the child support. And can that be court ordered? Can they say? Can the court say you need to have that policy in place to ensure that? Well, it would be in the MSA, so that is right. a court order when it's entered in. Right. And the the new statute actually in Illinois, I, I think the the ability of a judge to require it is different than the wisdom of having a couple agree to that in advance. Okay, so the statute was recently in Illinois changed to give the judge authority to order life insurance. So. That's a possibility, yes. Do you have any experience, Steve? I know that we talk about life insurance and disability for maintenance and child support, but it also comes into play a lot in cases where there's special needs kids. Um, is that something that? Yeah, so that that's uh, that adds another level of intricacy. Um, you know, you might want to have set up a testamentary trust that could pop open in case maybe the primary caregiver. Uh, was unable to perform or if, you know, it got to the point where other siblings had to be on a board to make decisions for that special needs. But having a special needs trust uh, listed as a potential um, possibility for that for that instance is, I think, uh, extremely wise planning to do if you especially if you have a kid who you don't need no he might be eight years old and he might be functioning he might not be but you might want to have that testamentary trust be able to spring open and and have that um, that ability to manage assets so that their needs are met and you want to do it in a way that doesn't over that doesn't put 
assets in the kids' hands and make them unable to qualify for potential benefits that might be available to them. I think that's a decent rule of thumb for most uh, trusts. Most of us don't make our wisest financial decisions at 18, I think. I can speak for myself. Um, But to have that, and I think that's something that we look at a lot in planning too, is when people want to leave money to their kids, if their kids are 16 or 15 or even younger, um, if we only all knew when we were going to die, it would make planning much easier. Right. <laughs> um, kind of going more towards the beginning. So as an insurance professional, as an advisor, you're often on the front lines of finding out when people are thinking about divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any preparation or educational tips that you give people? You know, if you're going to go down this road, this is what you kind of can do to get your ducks in a row. Yeah, so I had a I had a, a client uh, come to me early in my career and say, you know, a lot of the things you're saying make a lot of sense, but right now my biggest problem is potentially divorce, right? The thing I urged was complete transparency, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to, as a client for a married couple, I have a fiduciary relationship to both mm-hmm. parties. And I can't favor one over the other. So I recommended 100% transparency. And a few years later, we wound up in divorce. And it was completely uncontested because when he came to me two years ago, there were a lot of questions. Two years later, there was even more money. But it wound up being a very clean, um, you know, they just went to the courthouse themselves and came up with their own agreement. So having uh, somebody who doesn't have a sale at stake, but is just there to be your fiduciary from a financial perspective, I think can, can help. And there are a lot of planners who will do that for a fee mm-hmm. without needing to invest money or sell insurance. There are a lot of good, reputable firms out there that'll do that for clients. I got a, another question, kind of, again, for everyone, I kind of want to bring everyone into the conversation. Now, knowing that, that that's put into marriage settlement agreements and how important it is, how are the premiums handled? Is it, you know, you're trying to figure out there's a one pot of money and you're trying to figure out what goes to child support, what goes to maintenance. And now this is really important. How do you balance that, right? Because day-to-day cash flow is important. Now they've got two households. They're trying to figure out how to live. And now there's this other consideration of how, how to plan for, for death or disabled or questions like that. Okay, I'll share my personal perspective. And that's why when I I talk to the front, if you have two people that both want the divorce, the conversation about who's going to pay for it is going to be very easy because they're going to look and say, well, who can afford to pay for it and who's going to benefit, okay? Mm -hmm. If neither person wants to cooperate with each other, they're just going to fight about it because it's another thing to fight about, okay? So then I'll look at the third couple, right? So you have one person who's further along, you have the person who's further behind. My experience is, Let's say the person who really wants this divorce wants this insurance, but the person who's behind doesn't really care. Well, that person who wants it is more likely to be say, okay, I'll pay for it because I want it. So so this just points out the distinction between couples who are negotiating on their own Mm -hmm. versus a judge ordering somebody to pay. So I just want to bring that distinction because really this is a term that they can negotiate. And I would say ownership of the policy is also a term that they can negotiate. And I have had cases where there is a lack of trust. And I have simply said, she's the beneficiary, make her the owner. 
And then she said, and I'll pay the premium because I don't trust him to pay the premium. <laughs> One last question on that, though. It, it, there's times when a court, you know, the, the, the MSA says so-and-so will pay this. Mortgage is a great example. Then they don't pay the mortgage. It goes into foreclosure. And there's an enforceable mortgage or marriage settlement agreement, but the house is still in foreclosure. If they don't pay the premiums, that insurance policy could go away. What then happens, right? You've got all this planning has been done. You're trying to take care of the beneficiaries, but now there's no policy and they could have to get re-evaluated, right? And it could be 10 years down the road and maybe they can't even get insured. Well, there's also the group plans right. that you might have to go to like a group plan. Mm -hmm. And that is something that always makes me nervous because you could have a job that could offer that coverage. And then you might have with benefits changing. I don't really, I would prefer not ever be a group plan put into the MSA. I'd rather it be a private policy that be kept in there. But that might be a thing where it'd be cost prohibitive because something would happen that maybe you'd be diagnosed with cancer while you're your life insurance policy would lapse so that you could only be covered by a group premium, you know, a group, you know, under a group plan. And that would be something that you would have to go under that and do that. So there are different options that you could do because it might be where it was a hundred dollars a month. And maybe the only coverage you could get would be, I, I'm just throwing out a number of like a thousand dollars a month. And, and I'll say, um, and, and I'm assuming you're also a, a financial planner, right? Mm -hmm. So not only are you looking at insurance, but you're also looking at their retirement, their right. portfolio. Typically in my MSAs, I would write that if, in, if by some chance the policy were to lapse, then the spouse or the, the person who's supposed to be the beneficiary has a claim against the estate for the deficiency. So if they were supposed to have a $500,000 insurance policy and they let it lapse, then they've got a claim for $500,000 against the assets. Now, they may not have that, but it's that's a possible remedy. Yeah, trying to avoid uh, expensive litigation is kind of the goal for having the, done so the right for planning. For everybody except for the people who are litigating. Yeah, one thing I wanted to mention to you, because uh, you brought it up a couple times now, is disability. So one thing that we commonly find in both buy-sell agreements or business owners and in divorce settlements, we don't see, well, there's something short of death that could be really bad for both parties. And most people don't have enough disability outside of what they get from work. And if they're high earners, they definitely don't have enough coverage to maintain two lifestyles that they might be used to if they were to become sick and unable to work. So that's, that should also be accounted for. Um, I know we're going to wrap this up, but just I want to end on one note because I think that there's some confusion amongst people who are going through divorce on this. If my husband and I were getting divorced and he doesn't want to get life insurance, doesn't believe that he needs it, and I'm worried about my future, am I able to secure and buy a life insurance policy on my husband without his wanting to? So you must have an insurable interest. So if it's not within that year of being incident to a, a, a divorce, that you, probably within that first year, it will be pretty difficult. But you could argue, I think, pretty easily that it's for the kids and have that amount of the premium that you expect to be inc included in alimony. So if you're projecting a $300 a month premium, right, um, you could have him pay for that 
and then try to set it up on behalf of the kids. So I don't necessarily need him to say, oh, yeah, sure. No, I'll... you will need him. He's the... got to give his blood and his, his exam. Can he be compelled details. to do that, lawyers? So, I don't know that either one of us practice litigation, but I'm sure that you could compel anybody to do anything. <laughs> well, well, the I'm hook sure is on the back cost. end, the litigation that I'm gonna, we're going to come to you with a claim yeah. for this, if not, right? And, and um, I think unless I have seen an instance, unfortunately, where the, it was too late, and by then the primary breadwinner was no longer insurable. So the yeah. window had closed. Yep. So it's just a consideration you got to go through while you're while you're going through divorce. And All to right. go back to negotiating, right? It, it, sometimes they say, as long as you don't make me pay for it, fine. I'll give my blood. I'll you know let them take my vitals. Right. Mm -hmm. it, that's their thing. They just don't want to pay for it. Right. right. Thanks. And if you are thinking about divorce, please visit splitready.com and take our free assessment. You can come through your divorce with your finances, your integrity, and your sanity intact. Be informed, ask questions, and be split ready.